0: First Corinthians chapter 9, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the day. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together in this place. And I thank you for the many blessings that you've given to us for uh, your love and kindness, your grace and your mercy. Father, we are undeserving of these gifts and yet uh, you are rich in mercy, full of love, and Father, I just pray that you would um, just continue to allow for us to seek your face, to not give up hope, to finish the race. Father, I thank you for men and women of this church and community that have set the example for what it means to be faithful i can't help but to think of jack little to this morning a man who has done so much for this church and yet uh today he is with you worshiping you in spirit and in truth and so we are just so thankful of that good news And thankful for his service and his faithfulness to this church. I pray, Lord, that you be with his family and loved ones as they mourn his passing. But, Father, I pray that they would be, men like Jack would be an example to us on how we ought to live, how we ought to answer the call that you've placed on our life. And so, Father, today, if you would, speak to us in a mighty way, allow for your word to guide us and direct us and and hear a message from you. Father, I know that I have a part in this, and so if you would, Father, forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of the unrighteousness and give me the grace that is needed to preach your word in a way that bring honor and glory to your name in a way that brings sinners to repentance and believers to a time of renewal in their relationship with you. If there's someone here today, Lord, that has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. They where they admit that they are sinner, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and confess Christ as Savior and Lord of life. For the believer that's here today, that may be struggling or going through hardships, or just uh, tired and weary, and maybe wanting to quit, or maybe wanting to do something else. Maybe they're just upset and mad. I, I, I don't know, Lord. But you know each of our needs. You know where you need to meet us today. And so Father, I pray for the believer that's here, that you would guide them, that you would direct them, that you would, as an unseen guest here today, remind them of your presence and allow for them to experience you and to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord Jesus, we love you. and pray all these things in your name and all of God's people said, Amen. What does the Latin phrase quid pro quo mean? It means something for something. A favor for a favor. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. A lot of times at the workplace a a guy will say to his worker, hey if you work this weekend for me I'll work next weekend for you. A boss will say to his leading salesman, hey, if you land this account, I will promote you. Something for something is great, but do you know what's better? Something for nothing. This week I had a a little old lady, she came into the office and she brought me a bag, a big old bag full of peanut M&Ms. Pretty awesome. Yesterday, I came home and there was a bag full of Morel mushrooms by my door. And then this morning, I came in and on my desk, there was a bag full of kolaches. If you want to know why your pastor's getting fat, let me just tell you. <laughs> in 1939, one of America's most notorious gangsters would give away soup, coffee, and donuts three times a day to the unemployed. Have you ever received something for nothing? Have you ever received something for nothing? So let me just say that we all have probably at one point in our life. Maybe it's a free book. Maybe it's free tuition. Maybe it's free money or a. a, money for an electric bill or maybe it's helped getting a down payment on how it a free car from your parents ever you received something for nothing. In our pastor scripture for today Paul is giving something away and wanting nothing in return. Am I not free? He says in verse 1. First Corinthians chapter 9 verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we see that the church in Corinth is questioning Paul's apostleship. One of the reasons that some are doubtful is because Paul will not take a paycheck for the work that he's doing. Okay, other preachers and ministers, philosophers, when they come and they speak, they are, they're getting paid. And Paul says, listen, I'm not taking your money. He would not take money from the church in Corinth. He was doing something for nothing. Instead of taking their money, Paul relied on his ability to make money through being a tent maker. The church in Corinth though, friends, especially those who are powerful, influential in their community, wanted to pay Paul. And they thought that, hey, if I pay Paul, You know, if I do something for him, maybe he'll do something for me. Quid pro quo. You scratch my back, a favor for a favor, something for something. What was the something they were wanting? Hey, Paul, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Oh, if you support my political campaign, I'll support your ministry. Hmm hey Paul if you support my lifestyle I'll support you I'll put a little extra in that plate if you just say that this is okay don't preach on that don't teach on that I I I don't have a problem with a pastor caring about politics Uh, but I've seen pastors and church leaders become too political I, uh, whenever I see, I guess, a, a pastor becoming too close to a politician or a movement, I have to ask myself, what are the, what's in it for them, right? I had a seminary professor, he told me that, he told our class that there was a, a candidate, a presidential candidate for the United States of America that bribed him to support him. That if he supported him that there would be something in favor for him and this president this candidate became the president of the United States and they were he was asking, he was bribing this professor because why? he was well known had a lot of power in the Southern Baptist Convention the largest Protestant denomination in America and he said hey if you support me I'll support you <laughs> Ephesians one. Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Hard to look yourself in the mirror if you're not willing to practice the ethics that you preach. One of my favorite quotes that I've shared with you before is from former head coach of Stanford University, the football coach David Shaw. He said, It's hard to teach your players ethics and morals when you bring them to the university by unethical means. Paul knew that if he accepted the bribe money from the church leaders in Corinth, he couldn't preach and teach and lead the ways in which the church needed to in the ways in which God had called him to preach and to lead. So Paul served not for money, not for fame, not for fortune, not for likes and follows on Instagram. He did it because the God of all creation summoned him to serve the church, to preach the gospel. To establish the church in Corinth for years to come. And he wanted that church to to be established and to be long-lasting and to be set apart from other religious entities that were just secular in nature. I mean Paul grew up as a Jew. He had seen the hypocrisy in the Jewish faith and he did not want that to infiltrate infiltrate the church in Corinth and the church of Jesus Christ. And so he stood firm on his convictions. Listen to what he says in verse 2. From verses 2 to 12, Paul says, I have every right to collect payment. But listen to what he says in these 11 verses. If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord, This is my defense to those who examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do other apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I, who have no right to refrain from working for a living, who serves as a soldier, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Let's pause here for a second. Prior to Conversion. Paul was a Jewish rabbi. And rabbis were forbidden from taking a payment for teaching the law. They were usually laborers. They would work in physical labor. So Paul was a tent maker. In this first Paul part, Paul is saying that if there's anyone who is due to get paid for his services rendered, it, it's with you. Like, like if anybody should pay me, Corinth, you're the people that, you know, are indebted the most to my services. I mean, Barnabas and I, we we planted this church. If anyone should know who I am and what authority that I have, it's you. If there's anyone who would know that I deserve to be paid, that that I'm actually an apostle, that I'm preaching God's word. That I that I'm true to my convictions. I'm true to my morals. I'm true to the calling that God has placed in my life. It's you. Like you have no ground to question my authority. You know who I am. You know what I've done. Like, if anybody knows this better than you, it's. it's I mean, it's, it, there isn't anybody. There's nobody. What we also see from this is that people had, a, that Paul had people saying that he was asking for money. And Paul is saying here, I, I deserve to be paid. I mean, a, a soldier, does he have to pay his own way to battle? Does a, a hired hand at a vineyard not get to eat and drink from its fruit? Does the farmer not get to eat and drink the milk? Friends, if, if you had just this contextually here at this time, if you had a vineyard, okay, like you weren't the one out there picking the grapes. Like you had a servant. I mean so like, but Paul is saying here is hey, the people that are going out and picking the grapes, the people out there that are milking, like they like, do you not think that their that their master is allowing them to eat of the grapes or to, to drink of it? I mean, of it's fruit, do you not think like, I, I don't deserve this? Like, you don't think that? Do I say that? Do I say these things on human authority? Paul gives a number of examples, friends, and from a worldly perspective, but from verses 8, it's more from a Jewish perspective. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads on the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he certainly not speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow and hope and the thresher thresh and hope of sharing the crop if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it not too much that we reap material things from you? If others share the rightful claim on you, do we not even more? This oxen illustration is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 25. I think it's verse 4. If God is concerned about the oxen, Paul is saying, how much more is he concerned about those who are serving the kingdom of God? Remember in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells the disciples, Do not worry about what you will wear or what you will drink. Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or store in barns and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than them? All that Paul is saying in these first 12 verses is that he has the right to be paid for his services but even though Paul has this right he has denied it. Verses 12 B to 18 explain in further detail why he did decline this right. Verses 12, nevertheless we have not made the right use of this right but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get the food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Paul does not want any obstacle in the way between him and the church. Paul Paul's 100% committed to the work of the gospel, friends. Remember what Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. I mean, this is Paul's principle that he's living by here. Like, hey, I understand I could be receiving more from this. I could receive in payment, but I would rather give to you than receive from you. Paul wanted to be known for his service, not his wealth. He knew that if he had taken money from this church that it would become with strings attached... The word endure here is stego in the Greek. It's used four times in the New Testament. Paul uses it each time. (laughs) He uses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as well. It means to endure patiently, to hold out against something. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he talks about love, love never gives up, never loses faith, it's always hopeful and it endures through all circumstances. Paul knew that by not taking pay from the church it meant enduring hardships. It meant poverty, thirst, lack of clothing, not getting the latest iPhone, not getting the proper medical care, It meant days where food would be scarce and drink would be limited. Nevertheless, Paul knew that through every circumstance, his love for the Lord would endure. It would be enough. That there was nothing that he would go through that would keep him from doing the work that God had called him to do. No hardship, no difficulty, no questioning from others. You ever been questioned by your peers, by people that you love, people that you care for, and they look at you and they say, I don't don't like your character. I don't like who you are. I don't think you're doing this for the right reason. It's insulting, is it not? I mean, it hurts your feelings to have people that you love, people that you care about sit here and say, you know what, you are immoral, unethical, you're doing this for the wrong reason, you're selfish. I had a church one time complained about, I had a, really not church, had a deacon in the church, he complained about me being too tall. <laughs> and then he complained about me being bald, which I understand, you know, it's, there's a reflection and it's hard to see on Sunday, but like I but he would find things about just things I couldn't do anything about like I you have too deep of a voice And you're too tall. I mean like I was like well, what do you want me to do about this? You know Friends, I'm gonna you, ministries can be hard sometimes and you have to if, When God calls you in a minister you have to say okay No matter the circumstance no matter the situation No matter the hardship I'm going to endure I'm gonna be faithful 15 I've made no use of any of the rights nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, but I would rather die than anyone have an opportunity to deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for I do this of my own will. I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I still am entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? Then, in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my rights in the gospel. One of my commentaries that I read this week said that during this time, if money was brought up in a conversation, that the person on the other end of the conversation would assume that you're asking for money. And Paul here makes his case very clear that he has no desire to accept money from this church. He goes, I would rather die than you give me money and for me to accept money from you. Like, like, that's a pretty bold statement, right? I mean, like, hey, if I would rather end my life than ruin my testimony, is what he's saying. Like, I, I, listen, I, I'm this committed to what I'm doing. By no circumstance, no situation are you going to have this opportunity to rob me of my joy, rob me of the calling that God has placed on my life. His payment, his reward is preaching the gospel. I shared this yesterday at the women's breakfast. When God calls us to salvation, it's a call to service. All of us are called into ministry, we're called to salvation, we're called to Christ-likeness and we're called to serve. Not one of us here is exempt from that calling. If if you have a call to salvation, you have a call to service. Each of us. And I understand that my calling is a, a vocational calling. Like this is this is what I do for a living. This is how I make my 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 income. And this is what I do. Like I, I don't have a side hustle, you know, out there that I'm building tents on the weekends either. You know, I, I, this is what I do. Okay. And some of you are, are I believe, wholeheartedly, are being called into vocational ministry as well. That there are people in this room that God is pressing upon your heart even today to go and serve him with your vocation. Maybe God is calling you to go to seminary. I, my former president, Doctor, he's not, he's not my former president, he is the president of Midwestern Seminary. He says that sometimes like people that are going into seminary, like they just need to pack up the car and move to Kansas City. Sometimes they just need to pack up the car and they need to go to Waco. Sometimes they need to pack up the car and they need to go to Dallas or they need to go to New Orleans or they need to go to Nashville or they need to go to San Francisco or Denver. They need to go to and commit themselves. Say, God, I'm all in. Sometimes when God calls us into ministry, we're like, Ah, oh, maybe, maybe I'll do this, maybe I won't. No, we need to say, yes, Lord, I'll go. Send me, Lord. I'm willing. God is calling some of you into vocational ministry. And it's your responsibility to say, yes, Lord, I'll go. I'm 100% committed to this calling. Make no mistake about it, friends. God is still in the business of calling men and women into full-time vocational ministry and he calls men and women into ministry from the local church. Some of us are called to serve as a layman or a layperson. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's actually good. We know that that 10% of the people that God calls into ministry, we've learned this statistically, are natural born leaders. Okay, it's just just their gift. And the other 90% that's learned. Friends, I have a a doctorate in church leadership and I don't know what I'm doing half the time, okay? So I'm definitely in that 90%. But many of you are leaders. You're leaders in your workplace. You're leaders in your family. Like it comes natural to you. As a pastor, like most of my job is spent, like I would say 80% of my time is spent doing macro, big picture type work. But you all have the opportunity to focus on the micro. You have an opportunity to focus on small details. And you can lead a small group better than I can. You can lead a Sunday school class or a committee. And God is calling you to be faithful, to serve him, not with anything, but rather the joy of being faithful. And let me tell you something, just because you're doing what God wants you to do, doesn't mean that it's going to come without hardships. That there are going to be times in your life where you will, when you will have to endure hardships. Do you think Paul was the only one? Do you think the apostles were the only one? Do you think Jesus was the only one that has to suffer? Do we? Why are we so afraid to go through hardships? So unwilling. When every time we're pressed or pushed, we quit. We get our feelings hurt. We question God's calling on our life. I don't believe that God's calling is static, friends. I, I, I don't believe that God's call is, is stagnant in our life where we have to say, it's, uh, you, once you decide to be a Sunday school teacher, you gotta be a Sunday school teacher for the rest of your life. Like that's not, sometimes God calls us to be a Sunday school teacher That's for a season. Relax. When your pastor asks you to do something, it's not like I'm asking you to do it for the rest of your life. When God calls you to do something, it's not like, hey, i got to do this for the rest of my life. I don't know if I want to teach Sunday school for the rest of my life, Pastor. Take a deep breath. Relax. I don't know if I want to preach for the rest of my life. You know, I mean, I don't, some of you, I mean, I don't know if I want to be around you forever. I mean. But let me just say this. God can use you. He wants to use you. I firmly believe that today that God is calling people into vocational ministry and God is calling people just like you, just like me, to serve. Listen, I'm not perfect, y'all. I've got a lot of faults, a lot of, made a lot of mistakes in my life. And when God called me into ministry, I wasn't in a place or position to be ordained into ministry. A lot of work needed to be done but let me tell you something I knew without a shadow of a doubt this is what God wanted me to do and no matter what anybody would say no matter how many people said no I don't know about that Jeff I was like no I know this is like I have peace about it I know that God is pressing upon my heart to do this and I'm not the Holy Spirit friends I don't know what God is pressing upon your heart today but I pray whatever it is wherever God is leading you however God is calling you that you would be faithful and true to that call on your life and let me just say this if I may if you're here today like listen pastor I, I don't I don't even know about that whole salvation thing like you lost me there like this is an opportunity for you to say yes to your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ like Jesus Christ is the Son of God he came here, he died on the cross for your sins. He was perfect, he was without shame, without fault, without sin. He lived a perfect life so that you might have a relationship, a right relationship with God. If you're, you're here today you never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, before you start accepting the call into ministry, first accept the call to salvation. And say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Save me of my sin. I want to give you that opportunity right here, right now, to accept a call to salvation. And if you're here today and you've already done that, and you're like, man, I I need to take the next step in my faith, let me tell you, service will get you there. I can't tell you how many times I've led a Bible study, and I've learned more in that Bible study than I ever taught anybody else. And when you say yes to the Lord, God is going to grow you, and mature your faith in ways that you never thought was imaginable. And friends, let me tell you, this is a, a safe place right here, right now, to, to answer the call that God has placed on your life. Let me help you. Let our church staff help you. Let our, 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 our le- elders and leaders of our church say, yeah, that's the Lord. I mean, when Paul accepted a call into ministry, friends, I mean, he had people like Peter, James, John say, yes, this is from the Lord. This calling, this pressed upon your heart, feeling that you have, it's true. Where's God calling you? What's he pressing upon your heart today? Let us help you discover God's call, God's will for your life. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have together, together in this place father I thank you for this church I thank you for what you're doing here I thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins I pray Lord that for someone here today that's never accepted Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior that today would be the day of their salvation the day where they admit that they are a sinner, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and confess Christ as Savior and Lord. I pray, Lord, for the believer that's here that they would take this opportunity to hear your voice and respond with obedience. Lord, as you call, may we answer. And as a result, may you receive all the honor and all the glory and all God's people said